This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Gamification may be a new term to most people, but for many members of the business community, it has come to signify a new way to create value for their companies, their customers, and their employees, among others. What exactly is gamification? What is it not? And how will it be changing the way we do business in the next few years? Knowledge at Wharton asked these questions and others to Wharton's Kevin Werbeck, Rajat Paharia, founder of Bunchball, a tech company that enables businesses to implement gamification, and Daniel DeBow, co-founder of Ripple, a social performance management company. Werbeck is the co-organizer, along with New York Law School professor Dan Hunter, of a two-day conference at Wharton on gamification titled For the Win. Kevin, Rajat, and Daniel, thanks to all of you for coming. I'd like to start with a question about what gamification is and what its relevance to business is. Kevin, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, I generally define gamification as the application of techniques or mechanisms from game design to business problems and other kinds of non-game problems. So when you think about it, uh, what is it that makes a game fun? What is it that makes it engaging? What is it that makes people want to come back and, and use it? Uh, we can take some of those same techniques and apply them to making uh, online experiences fun, potentially making work experiences more rewarding, and potentially uh, encouraging and motivating people to do other things that are beneficial. All right. Well, what would some examples of that be in the business world? Yeah, there's there's a lot of great examples. And I think to, to put a finer point on what Kevin was saying, really at the end of the day, it's all about driving a certain kind of activity or behavior or participation, right? And every business out there is based on customers of some sort taking some kind of behavior, whether it's purchasing something or subscribing to something or watching something. And all of those drive business value for the end uh, for the business. And so if you can drive that behavior amongst your consumers, your users, your customers, then you can drive real business value. And this can run the gamut anywhere from um, a media company that has television shows and wants to drive content consumption and sharing. So I, I want more people to read blogs and watch videos and do things like that because that drives advertising revenue to a company that wants to, uh, like Microsoft, get people to use more of their products so that they're more likely to upgrade in the next upgrade cycle rather than using a competitive product. Um, all the way to a B2B company using it to generate leads by having um, the great IT security competition where people can show off how much they know about IT security. And in the process, the company generates leads and the people get this sense of accomplishment, satisfaction, and winning a competition. Yeah, so I think actually you tease out something interesting there because people have been doing contests for a long time. And, and so gamification is an, an excellent ner- name for a lot of people who are bringing thematically these ideas together. But taking the fine point off of it, I often think about it as a few things of like recognizing that there are actually games going on all the time in all sorts of things we do. And, and that's not really new, right? That's game theory. That's people thinking about the workplace in terms of rewards and competition. And then the second part of it is being really creative about different ways to solve the problems. I think that's a half of what gamification is, is saying, hey, let's break the barriers of what we're doing and try and apply things from different domains. And the third part, and this is actually where I think uh, we spend the most of our time, it's really uh, design. Right? It's design. It's trying different ideas and really thinking about the human psychology of why people will engage in any behavior. And, 
at the end of the day, design and thinking creatively and recognizing what's really happening and trying different things is absolutely central to innovation in business. We often hear about how the millennial generation needs to be constantly rewarded, praised, get feedback, etc. So to what extent is gamification a generational phenomenon? I actually don't think it is um, because it's based off of satisfying these fundamental human needs and desires we have for reward, status, achievement, competition, self-expression, even altruism. And those things cross genders, they cross demographics, they cross, you know, kind of any you know, segmentation you might want to apply. We're all motivated by some combination of those. Maybe not by all of them. Like I might not care about competition, but I, I will care about individual achievement and uh, getting to the next goal or being recognized for something. And because of that, I mean, it's, I think it's easy to say that Generation G, the kid generation, you know, that has grown up with Xbox Live um, is especially motivated by these things. But you see them motivating 43-year-old women in Farmville, and you see them motivating young adults in Xbox Live, and you see them motivating kids in Club Penguin and, and you know, 50-plus, 100K income plus on sites like Comcast, right? It really, it's fundamentally human, and because of that, it applies to everybody. Yeah, and when we first started explaining the idea for Ripple, and we were trying to apply a lot of these concepts to something that people think is pretty painful, performance management, getting feedback at work. Uh, people said exactly that, you know, this is just a demographic phenomenon. But we learned that it's a psychographic phenomenon, right? It, it doesn't matter what age group. It depends on who you are and what motivates you, what makes you think differently. And again, I would go back and say part of the insight is to say, you know, people have been playing games at work for a very long time. The rewards are different, right? But, you know, status like corner offices and titles. These are things that people are rewarded for and motivated by. And I think what we're trying to do and, and more broadly gamification is doing is just pushing that envelope. I remember just a quick anecdote. I remember a long time ago I went to law school and my civil procedure professor said, I want you to understand that the legal system is just a giant game, right? So the idea that you can look at, at, at a system of how humans interact as a game is not unique to what I think gamification is doing today. Yeah, it's important to, to distinguish games from gamification, and, and they often do get get mixed together. Um, but there's there's uh, fascinating, important developments in terms of the significance of games. So the video game industry is a fifty billion dollar business. It's bigger than Hollywood by most metrics. Uh, the vast majority of people under a certain age uh, ha have grown up with video games their entire life. Not not just the millennial generation, but but people in the workplace uh, in their thirties, forties, and even fifties. Uh, are familiar with these kinds of interfaces and techniques. So there's a great deal that's interesting that's happening around games, but gamification specifically uh, is about uh, taking things from games and putting them into things that are not games per se. So this is not about going into an immersive 3D world, for example, to do simulation and training. Uh, where you put uh, a pilot in something that feels like the plane cockpit. Um, that's what, what I would call serious games. It's related, uh, but it's something that's recognizably a game, a virtual environment. What companies like Rajat's and Dan's do uh, is take those techniques and put them into situations that don't necessarily feel like a game. They don't necessarily look like a game, but, but they are. Uh, and they take advantage of what games can do. And, and as they said, that, that can really apply across the board to any demographic. Can you give some more examples of those applications in the business world then? Um, so there's you know, some of the ones that are, that are frequently pointed to as examples. Uh, Nike has a system called Nike Plus where they put a little accelerometer into uh, your shoes and you can keep track of your runs. 
and then plug it into your computer and do competitions with your friends, track and see leaderboards. Uh, Foursquare, which is a, a web-based check-in service for location-based uh, check-in service on your mobile device, uh, uses point systems and leaderboards and concepts like being the mayor. Those are those are those are uh, some of the the examples that people are familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, talk about a lot. Uh, but really, I think what, what what these other two guys are doing and and the other companies are doing is is more significant because they they, they are solving particular business problems. Um, as opposed to just building a standalone service as a game. So, so I'll let them comment more specifically. Well, so in our case, ours is uh, not a platform to do this in any context. Ours is applying this to a very specific and often painful problem, right? People don't like performance reviews because the world of work has changed so much in the last 50 years, but the way we've been managing people hasn't changed. And our insight was, why don't we apply these techniques to make uh, the process of getting feedback, recognition, setting goals to be much more real-time, social, and collaborative? So a simple example, and probably one that people think about us or associate, although it's certainly not the the only example would be uh, people today would send an email and say, hey, you did a good job on that, and then it's lost. And so we wanted to sort of, for lack of a better term, gamify it by allowing people to create a badge, to send it to a peer, to add meaning to the badge, to um, and then allow others to see why this person got recognized. And, and the key thing is it doesn't go away. It becomes part of your personal profile forever. And very quickly, we started to learn that people started to create value. They started to value this thing that they were being given because it was meaningful, but also it added to their long-term reputation. And they viewed their career as something they wanted to build credible brand around. And if they could point people back to all this thanks that they had been received and all these badges, which were sort of instances of that thanks, they felt it added to the reputation. That's a simple example of uh, gamification at work. Yeah, so my company actually provides a technology platform that any business owner can take and integrate into their content or their experience in order to drive whatever particular behavior drives business value for them. And so that can be used in uh, B2C uh, type arenas. So we have many major media companies using our platform to drive content consumption and sharing around their television properties like Psych and Burn Notice, etc. So they want people to consume more content because it's an ad revenue driven business. And so therefore they generate more money. We also have companies using us internally now. So this is um, I don't know what you call it, BDE, BDE Business to Employee, right? And so um, for sales incentive programs, right? Sales incentive programs today, the way that most of them work is um, you sell something and you go put in a PO number in a little system and it says, here's 10,000 points, go buy some golf clubs. And that's the entire experience when really salespeople are kind of inherently competitive and shouldn't you be having high score tables and real-time news feeds and people leveling up and giving them missions, both long-term and short-term, mm-hmm. to accomplish, to like say, you know, here's the long-term quarter-long goal and here's the this week, sell 10 more Cisco routers and you're going to get a spiff, like that kind of thing. Uh, use game mechanics to drive that. All the way down to you see companies like Kias and Shape Up the Nation using it to get uh, employees to exercise and better health to drive down healthcare costs. So uh, how durable is this concept? I mean, you've mentioned things, the sort of more obvious and um, perhaps um, less serious things like getting badges, leaderboards, being the mayor of a location and Foursquare, uh, in addition to the more sophisticated uses that you've all talked about. But isn't burnout an inevitable side effect when there's widespread adoption? Well, I, I would say we're very early. So there's a lot of hype about gamification, a great deal of excitement, um, but but it's just at the beginning of the curve. It's it's sort of the way social media was and even electronic commerce before that. A great deal of excitement, some early examples, and then what happened was people burned out on the, the kind of early 
simple uses. Uh, but then when you step back from a perspective of five years or 10 years, you, you realize that, that the, the impact has been even greater than we anticipated. So whether the, the term gamification sticks, uh, the kinds of practices that are going on that, that these companies are doing and others are doing, I, I think are enduring because they, they, they come back to real enduring problems. How do you motivate people inside your company, outside your company, uh, and, and how do you make things engaging? And that, that's something that's just simply not going to go away. I think social is actually a really good analogy, right? So, you know, MySpace explodes, Friendster explodes, everybody on the internet says, I need social on my website. And then even it moves into the enterprise, corporate, right? And at some point, you know, the same legitimate question gets asked. It's like, aren't people going to get tired of interacting with all these different social systems? And I think the answer is, yeah, people will interact with the ones that they want to interact with, and they'll ignore the rest, right? So just because the New York Times has commenting on it doesn't mean I interact with it. doesn't mean I even read it. Um, I go there for a very specific purpose. But it doesn't detract from my experience from it to be there. So I'll interact with it where I want to, where it's compelling for me, and in other places I won't. Yeah, I think um, I think what what the the guy said is is true. But and then I'd add two comments. One is that um, people are experimenting. I think it's even inherent in what we're trying to do, which is to try different things and see what works. It's almost p part of the design. But two things I think will stand out: those games that are designed at work around intrinsic motivators. So it's very quick. You can sort of um, you can spike any type of behavior for a short period of time, and then you get the burnout. But the examples that are enduring are the ones that I think appeal to things that people really genuinely like to do or want to do. And you gave the example of wanting to run uh, or are based on behaviors that people already engage in before the game came along. You know, Foursquare was really based, I think, on the observation that people would send text messages to their friends and say, I'm here. And so they said, let's build a game around that to amplify that. And I think that's the, the, the one side that you'll see. I think the second side is to remember... Uh, just because any element, any game has a game element doesn't make it a good game, right? There's lots of games, video games that fail all the time, and they have lots of leaderboards and badges. And similarly, you'll see that in, in the workspace. The ones that will last are the ones that go back to the initial proposition, are the ones that are really well designed and that really get at something core that people really genuinely want to do. Yeah, and if I could jump back in, that's one reason that, that I've started a project here at Wharton called For the Win with a, a colleague, Dan Hunter, at New York Law School, uh, is to try to get at, at what's deep and what's enduring here. And so we're engaged in a number of activities uh, to try to kickstart uh, serious research and analysis. Uh, we, we, we believe that this is a, a major, important, enduring phenomenon, uh, but it is important to, to look deeply and separate out the wheat from the chaff. Do you see a way where gamification could fail, where where it's used in the wrong way or it's overemphasized in the wrong direction? Or um, is, it, is there any, you know, downside to this, this phenomenon? Yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, like any other tool methodology, it can be used poorly and it can have um, unintended consequences or results. I mean, there have been several stories on the Internet of people like, doing high score tables and competition around things that they probably shouldn't be and driving the wrong kind of behavior or rewarding people for making forum posts. Well, if you're going to reward that, then people are just going to be typing garbage in the forum posts just to get the reward, right? You're not rewarding the right behavior, which should be kind of quality discourse. Right. And so you really want to be rewarding people for getting a like, good thumbs up on their, on their comments and things like that. So I think um, there is, uh, to Dan's point earlier, like design is a really important part of this and thinking really clearly about what are you trying to motivate and how should you motivate it? Any system can be abused because any system can be gamed. Mm -hmm. And it turns out <laughs> the people who understand that the best because they think about it every moment are the game designers. 
Uh, and and so it's it's absolutely I agree with Rajat completely. There's there's a real risk, but it, it also uh, if you follow through this technique thoughtfully, it also has the the kinds of mechanisms to counteract that. I think that's the right point. I mean, our uh, it's funny. Our lead designer has been a very successful designer uh, building other sorts of social games, and he's actually quite cautious about us experimenting and implementing these things because of exactly that. Because y- you can create incentives that have very perverse results. Not any different from any other incentive design system that uh, whether you talk about the tax system or or a grading system at school. Uh, and so we're very careful at when we do things at work. I'll give you a simple example. Most people think money would incent people to behave and encourage them in one direction. And in fact, even in the sort of consumer web space, a company called Dropbox has exploded in growth because of a very clever two-sided incentive that basically gives you free stuff if you share the product. We experimented like with something like that at work and gave people $25 if they shared it. And what we found is actually people were far less likely to share Ripple at work when we offered them a monetary incentive and much more likely when we removed it and made it much more intrinsic. Now, the, the, the sort of point about those are failures, but I don't think they're failures. They're actually learning about how to actually figure out for this particular problem, for this particular behavior, back to Rajat's point about what behavior do you want to incent, you simply have to try things. The good news about gamification is that you tend to not have you know massive collapses in the financial system when you implement one wrong. It, you, you learn pretty quickly... I think one other point we probably haven't mentioned, but we should. Gamification is very data-driven. You mm-hmm. are absolutely looking in real time at how people react and what are they clicking through and how are they behaving. And because of the nature that they're often implemented, as you said, in a video game context, you can do experiments, little ones, A-B experiments. If we change the wording, how do people behave now? If we change the position of the leaderboard, does that change how people do it? And I think that's part of the ethos of design about how you build these systems. So you tend to figure these things out as you're implementing a, pro- a process to try and change any sort of behavior. Well, so let's assume that gamification becomes a central part of a company's strategy more and more in the next five years. How would a company actually go about implementing this? Would it be the responsibility of the chief marketing officer, the chief technology officer, the chief information officer? Mm-hmm. How would you know what would be the most strategic approach uh, it, to getting this rolling? It all depends on the application, actually, right? So if it's a business to consumer, if I'm trying to get consumers to do more behavior, more behavior, then it's typically head of product or um, head of product or head of digital product. If it is a marketing campaign, we've worked with you know, Right Guard, Victoria's Secret, and others, then it is the head of marketing. If it's the person responsible for the health and wellness of the organization, then it's typically HR, right? And if it's uh, the sales incentive manager, then it's the head of sales. So really, I mean, it's a very flexible kind of fluid system that can be used anywhere where there are people to be motivated. And because of that, there are different buyers depending on the actual application. Absolutely. I mean, we find that um, we'll get very senior managers, VP of sales, VP of product, who will want to implement something like what we're doing because they see this as a management problem. But often we'll talk to tons of HR people. You know, our, uh, Facebook is one of our biggest customers, and and uh, there it's the HR department that initially brought us in but then was embraced by their engineers. So you'll find different pockets depending on the problem. Um, I think one thing that's important about strategically implementing this is understanding that it's not as simple as asking your 14-year-old kid, like, show me the video game you're playing and then trying to (laughs) implement that at work. I I mean, it's funny, but I I think sometimes that's where a lot of these failures occur. It is a well-advised thing to engage with people who have deep experience in human psychology, motivation, and game design. It's it, it, As you mentioned, it's a $50 billion business. This is not a bunch of kids in their basement. This is a large industry that has a large body of knowledge about how to design things that work. 
And, you know, Bunchball is a great firm, a great example of, hey, how can we bring expertise uh, to bear? I, I think the key point is doing it carefully and doing it with some expertise is probably a far likelihood of succeeding whatever strategic endeavor you uh, want to apply gamification to. Great. So we have about one minute left. Would anyone like to make a final point? I think I think we've covered the right kind of ground. I I, I think it it behooves businesses and and people in in, in all contexts to try to understand what's going on with this phenomenon uh, and not to dismiss it out of hand, but also not not to get caught up in the hype. Um, but uh, I'm tremendously excited from what I'm seeing, especially the breadth of what we're seeing, ranging from academics to startups to large companies in lots of different fields and and social impact and even the U.S. government looking at applying these techniques. Uh, and I think it's something that, that five or 10 years from now we'll look back and uh, really everyone in, in business is going to have some understanding of it. Well, this has been fascinating. Thank you all for coming by. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for having us. Thanks. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.